Hello and welcome to the next episode of Vagabond Actors. I'm Andrea Helene from Mallorca, Spain, and joining me as always, Brian Casp from Prague. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Great. And Gary Condis from London. Hello there, how are you doing? We're fine. Although, Brian, we were talking a little bit earlier. How are you really in this time of the COVID crisis? Oh, well, you know, we're getting through it. Things are starting to get maybe relaxing here a little bit in terms of the the lockdown. So we'll see how that all shakes out. Uh, everyone's hopeful, but a little bit uh, trepidatious about what the future is going to hold. Mm-hmm. So that's how things mm-hmm. are here. Mm-hmm. Any changes to your um, your guidelines? Yeah, I just was reading an article. Uh, I I saw the headline really before we just got on, and it said that um, the people from from Carnival Row, which is the show that I'm shooting on now, mm-hmm. want to return as soon as possible to do it. Although I don't, I don't know exactly how how that will work because there's still bans on international travel. Mm-hmm. So I don't quite know how that'll work, but mm-hmm. they would like to come back and do it, which would be great if filming can start up again. Do you feel like to prepare yourself, I mean, there's always the actor's uh, process of preparation before before a job, but do you feel like there's another mental or physical piece that you that you foresee having to uh, engage in before, before heading back to set? I don't know if there will be an extra piece. I usually have a career which is made up of days, a few days here, a few days there. And so very often I will be not working at all and then drop into two or three days of doing something and then I'll not work for a while or I'll go off to do something else, which means that the shift from not shooting activity to shooting activity is, is always quite you know, I, I don't have time to build up the momentum mm-hmm. that you might if you were shooting five days a week for six months or whatever. And so I don't know if there will be extra, extra pressure. I think it'll be extra exciting yes. to do it. To see human faces again. Yeah. Without face yes. masks. <laughs> That'll be fun. Here in London, we are a week behind you guys in Europe. And Although the first couple of weeks we were getting used to it, first two to three weeks getting used to it, now it's becoming kind of uh, part of the fabric. And because it's reaching, and I know you've had that in Spain and things a little bit relaxed, starting to relax a little bit mm-hmm. in, in Spain. Yeah. Um, Andrea, here, not, we're, we're a week behind that. So it's, there's a bit of a cloud of gloom. So, you know, to combat that, I've just been watching lots of TV series where I've worked with clients on particular scenes and just seeing how their, you know, how the work turned out. I've coached them on yeah. certain roles or scenes on TV series like Berlin Station being one. And um, yeah, it, so I've just got into that. I've got, you know what, I'm going to do a bit of work, try and get my head down and get out of the, the, the darkness that is, mm-hmm. that is, uh, it's been there all along, but it seems to be a particular shade of pitch black at the moment. Oh, I'm sorry to hear about the black, but uh, so it anyway, is- sorry to add some doom and gloom to it. But anyway, yeah. that is that is the truth, right? It's there. That's part of the curve, isn't it? The black, right? Hopefully, it will lead people towards rationality and uh, reliance on the science of things, and not to the rash and knee-jerk uh, political mm. 
reactions that sometimes can prevail because people want certain things and it's 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 a tough time i yeah, think it's going to be interesting how it pans out it's going to be a real reflection of where we're at as a human race yeah for sure for sure and then going into the next crisis which is probably the warming planet so um yeah, yeah with that in yeah, mind let's do a bit of <laughs> <laughs> And now to get to some of your feedback from our last episode on objectives. We had a really great question come in from listener Maladina Bellario, who wanted to know, well, why don't I let her ask it? What do we do when we, uh, when we have a bad, bad script? <laughs> uh, or normally soaps are a bit like that, and you don't have much subtext, and it's all very plain, and some scenes have no real objectives. Do we create an objective ourselves? I just go back to the space I was I was in a few months ago when I was working in Romania on a script that we couldn't learn beforehand. We were given the script on the day and cha- we were changing some of the lines because they were badly written. And some scenes were having no objectives. We're just speaking about emotions. Just, just that, l- laying out emotions, which you normally... Every day you don't do. <laughs> so what do you do then in order not to to be a bad actor? So what do you do when you get a bad script or when you get it late and you don't maybe have time to prepare and you're go, about to go and shoot? What do you do? It's a great question. I mean, oftentimes there's a few things that might make a piece of writing bad. But a lot of the time, and one of the biggest sort of common denominators in bad writing is that there's hardly any subtext. Uh, And as Madalena points out, she's been recently working on a soap opera, and that's often the case with soap operas. And it's all played out on the surface, and there's no nuance, there's no mystery, there's no space for the unsaid. Um, You know, it's like like wearing your underpants over your jeans. You're just exposed, and there's no nuance. (laughs) Don't superheroes do that? (laughs) Uh, And it's all explained. So there's nothing to hook us in. And I think if you're looking at something that is lacking as an actor, then... Do you replace it, find a way of finding it? Do you create it, create something that's not there? One, how can I make it more subtle? So maybe going against the heavy-handedness of the script. Mm -hmm. Right. Also, can I create subtext if it's not there? Or can I find it? Well, I often find sometimes using my imagination to know something about the other character Mm -hmm or even the other actor mm-hmm. that instills in me something good, bad, uh, exciting, frightening, uh, you know, a secret maybe that makes me behave in a certain way or just colors the lines in a way that kind of polishes the rough edges of it. Um, because as we all know, and I'm sure we agree, you know, if you just rely on words, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. It ain't about the words. I mean, for me, bad writing is two things. The actual words um, I maybe it's, there's too many of them, or they're overwritten, or they're over-explanatory, and then the structure of the scene. Um, it might be illogical. It might not 
have a beginning, a middle and an end in the way that it's logical that you go on a journey that has a cause and effect kind of journey. That dramatic structure or comedic structure hasn't quite been ironed out. So I do the same as I would do in a good scene, which is find perhaps an objective that helps me to invest in it. We talked about objectives last time. Uh, And also try to justify the words, the lines with some kind of intention. So I don't just rely on the words, but I, 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 it comes from a, a place of action um, that creates some kind of behavior. Yeah, maybe, you know, sometimes I, I find playing the opposite, just playing the complete opposite often helps to take the heat off the noise, if you know what I mean. Failing all that, you can always go the Benicio del Toro route in Usual Suspects and just mumble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just say him fast. Just say it fast. Just say it fast. Just say it faster. <laughs> It'll work. Yeah. We'll say it in a way that can't be heard. Or, you know. yeah. 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 Exactly. What about you, Andre? Do you have a, a solution for uh for what to do when the script is failing? Yeah, I th- I really agree with what Gary has has said. I would just I would just add a couple ideas to that that um you know, the extent to which you can play around with it may also be influenced by the nature of your role as a part of the whole. If you are a day player, you may have less room to noodle about than if you have a substantial role. You know, if you have a substantial role, you can create knowing that there are other scenes um, that will support an effort towards dimension, you know, um, Good point. Right. So maybe in, you know, one out of seven scenes, you are really on point and, and going fully with what the script is giving you. And, and it's a full expression of your point of view, which, you know, could read as expositional material. You're just really going forward. And in other, in other scenes, you're maybe holding back or teasing or investing a secret. I think secrets are very, can be very powerful tools for actors to just have that knowing as you say, Gary, about your partner, your acting partner, or about the other character, they can really um, they can really create very naturally, organically, a subtext within your own behavior, and um, allow you to consider what you are doing. Again, we talked so much about the action element of objectives, so it gets you more into a doing. Uh, place if you are holding on to something you've got an idea about what you want to do there um the other thing is sometimes i think you can you know if it's simply the material through and through that every character is written this way that's one set of problems if it happens to be that your character in particular is written that way I think you, you're right. You can either take an opposite approach to it or you can really lean in and say, well, maybe this is just a reflection of my character's tendencies. Maybe this is a personality piece that I can explore with. You know, is she just a motor mouth? Is she just, can she just not stop herself from saying what she needs to say? Something comes to mind and comes out her mouth. Does she, uh, does she offend people? Does she embarrass people by this? Is there some way that you can see this that's creative where you don't feel that you are so much struggling with the challenge of a poor script? Rather, you're given you're given an opportunity to develop with this 
verbose, you know, uh, tendency right out there. And can I make that interesting in some way? Because the words have to come out. They've got to come out of your mouth. And won't it be lovelier if they could come out in some sort of an interesting way? Well, maybe this is just a lovely feature that she has that she expresses herself in this way. And how can I make that fun for my audience and for myself to live out? I think that's a great point, what you just said. And, I, and Gary, you kind of get at that as well. If you're not having fun, then what are you, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, trying to find the fun and the, and the play in how to deal with these situations is critical, especially if you're on a show that shoots every day or you're, if there's a, with soap operas there, you're shooting lots and lots of pages a day. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the fun can get sucked out of that process. I love the idea, not just for badly written scripts, although it would certainly work for it, and both of you guys have touched on this, which is to have a separate thought that is about the other actor that you're working with so that you really aren't, and it basically gets to having the secret and it basically gets to having something else going on besides the script. And so if you are having a love scene or a scene where you're falling in love with someone and in your mind, you are planning an invasion with them or a, a heist with them so that the lines start <laughs> to take on completely different meaning than what they were written to take on, then that can create all kinds of wonderful behavior that the audience will just say, oh, there's a secret here or there's, there's something going on where you're having fun being in a spy movie. Mm-hmm. Right, which Nothing if to you, do with what's going on, but you're solving Nothing to do with it. But the story is going to get told because you're saying the words, mm-hmm. right? good or bad. Mm-hmm. Right. For Another example would be if you are having a fight with someone, well, maybe you need to say that and be actually falling in love with the other actor mm-hmm. that you're having a fight with. Mm-hmm. And, and both of these examples are bringing yourself away from the surface of the text and bringing yourself into something else that's happening. That's right. And it's really uh, a great habit. And it, and it works even when the script is good, Mm -hmm. when you're playing the scene, when you're in league with the scene, there's no room for extra wonderful moments to happen. And if you watch actors who are really good, the words that they're saying isn't the thing that they're doing. They're doing something else. There's something else going on. And what that thing is, maybe it's informed by their understanding of the script. Maybe it's informed by, by their emotional, imaginary preparation. And maybe it's just that they've created something that is a different thought mm-hmm. that doesn't belong anywhere in, in the plot or the script. Mm-hmm. But it adds that little bit of juice, that little bit of spice to a scene that otherwise, if it's good and you're playing along with it, it's, you're going to overpower it. And if it's bad and you're playing along with it, then it's kind of boring and, and just a shitty piece of writing. I completely, have agree. Fun with it? I completely agree. And we do see, especially in soap opera work, just to respond to her, to her inquiry about this, you know, we do see, if you look over time uh, at some of the most successful soap opera performers, 
I think I do think that some of these characters have been sustained for so long because those actors have been able to do exactly this. The soap opera actors that I often kind of go, wow, actually, I've just forgot that I was watching a soap opera while I'm watching you yes. do that. Yeah. Uh, there's something else going on. And I'm actually gone, you know what, for a moment, I've stopped listening to the noise that is coming out of your mouth. And right. I'm tuning into something that's being transmitted from mm. you. Good. Well, hopefully that helped a little bit with dealing with a bad script. We will have an episode on script analysis as well at some point. And so definitely tune in for that. But today is not that day. Today we're going to talk about headshots. So stay tuned. This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner, and if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put Vagabond Actors 25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. You know, some of one of the actors' tools um, in terms of marketing, we talked a little bit about building a network and maintaining contact with people. We talked a little bit about self-tapes, which are you know, I think a tool that is further down the line of once there's someone that's interested in you and has asked you to to submit a bit of an example of what you might do in a role. But before you get to that point, there's a tool which is the actor's headshot. Uh, I actually had a coaching session earlier this week where someone was asking about headshots and what she should have and what it should look like. And so I thought it might be a good time as people maybe are looking to come out of our chrysalis um, as new people and to see what happens, uh, it might be a good time to talk about what you might want to look for in a headshot and uh, and what might be appropriate in a headshot and how to get something that that will serve you. So I wanted to open it up, but now just to just to caveat this a little bit, there are real regional differences in terms of what a professional and what a, an industry standard headshot are. I have more of an idea maybe of what the UK market is like, but Andrea, I think you, since a, you're a recent mm-hmm. transplant, you might be more able to talk more about what the what the US market is looking for, or at least, and there might be differences between LA and New mm-hmm. York. 
as well. So there's definitely regional differences. So anything that we might talk about here, take it with a certain grain of salt, there's going to be certain truths, but certainly talking to professionals in whatever market that you're in, when you're getting your headshot done or whatever market you'd like to work in, would be the best thing to get a baseline for, for what the trends are in your particular markets. But, but Andrea, why don't you start us off about, about headshots? Well, yeah, there's certainly uh, regional differences in the U S although they're not as in my understanding, they're not as pronounced as they used to be. In the black and white headshot time, uh, there was definitely a difference between Los Angeles, Chicago, and New York. New York being much more brooding, dramatic, uh, theatrical, whereas Chicago was generally more commercial. As a backup, you had a, um, a dramatic shot. And, um, and Los Angeles was you know, a little bit livelier. <laughs> so, <laughs> since the Can I just interject with a story? I just remembered this. There's these theaters in Los Angeles because Equity, the, the Actors Union, has a waiver for theaters that have fewer than 100 mm-hmm. seats. So those are called Equity Waiver Theaters and they can hire union actors but don't have to pay them, basically. Uh, or they have to pay them something ridiculous. So... I, I did a play in one of these theaters in Pasadena, which is in LA metropolitan area, but not really LA. It's a different, it's its own thing. But, um, and we were opening submissions that people had. And the one, just to talk about the flavorful um, headshot, there was a guy who was um, not wearing a shirt, just jeans, and had kind of unbuttoned his jeans. <laughs> Just you know, and pulled the pulled the top flaps of his jeans a little bit apart, so you could just catch a flavor of his underwear. And against a you know a a painted blue sky with a rock field, you know, a full body shot, and he had a little dog just sitting at his heels. And we were like, "What is this guy selling here?" You know, it was such a crazy headshot. That was the most crazy headshot that I've ever seen in my life. But certainly LA. And he had flowing, he had like Fabio hair, you know, it was flowing long locks. It sounds like an advert for a Las, Las Vegas, you know, magic show. Or something. I don't know what he was going for. There's some, it's, it, there's some, yeah, people who are misinformed about headshots. Okay. So continue. I'm sorry about that. I just remembered when you said wacky headshots, I thought that is an example of what not to do. Misinformed is saying it it politely. Well, I thought we could talk about, you know, a couple of subtopics, you know, first of all, like what makes a really great headshot and then how to go about creating that. We've all been asked by students over the years to look at their proofs and to look at, you know, a million images that they've got after a shoot and to identify the ones that we feel strongly about. Agents, managers are asked to do this all the time. And how do we, how do we define in this format, what it is that draws us to what we think are the standout shots? Certainly, I think one of the first things is what we hear from casting directors all the time, which is it has to look like you. And, you know, it doesn't mean it has to look like you when you walk in and you have to to dress that way when you walk into the audition, but it should absolutely suggest your personality and it should be a truthful representation of what you look like right now because when it comes down to it if they've called you in because 
the, the photo speaks to them, that's, that's who they want to see walking in. And you certainly don't want to start an audition with a sense of disappointment. And there's always the time equals money issue around anything to do with production. So I think even just on a basic business level, it doesn't make sense to try and sell yourself in a headshot that doesn't really represent you or your personality, what your energy is. I have a question about that. When you have this advice about your headshot should look like you, what happens? Now, for for most men whose hairstyle doesn't change that frequently, it's not so much of an issue. You can get new headshots pretty much every three or four years and it'll be fine. For women with longer hair, Mm -hmm. there's usually a question or who changed their hair color, there's a question. Or my student is African-American and she said, you know, based on how she styles her hair, which can change fairly rapidly, she could look uh, quite different if, if she's, if her hair is more curly and it's kind of pulled out, you know, into more of an Afro, then, then it would look quite different than if she'd straightened it or, or, or if it's pulled back, you know, it's looking really, really different. It really changes her features. Mm -hmm. So what would you guys say to a student, um, like that, or have you, have you coached or had experience with people of different ethnic backgrounds who have different kinds of hair and, and can, and can look quite different based on how they style that hair on any particular day? Yes, I have. And um, so the actors that I'm thinking of pretty much took the route of embracing that and making sure that, you know, their, uh, the photos that they had available on IMDb and on the casting sites were updated, but also, you know, showing the great variety. And then I think you have to have a, a clear conversation with your agent who's submitting you on these things, that they make notes of which headshot they've submitted on jobs. I had that issue actually as a curly haired girl because, you know, I tend to stay curly, but sometimes ever so often I straighten my hair and I've had headshots with my hair straightened. And I look, Brian, you may know, I look very different with my hair straight. So sometimes I ran into what felt a little bit troubling which was that I, I would show up for an audition and I had not been told by my, by my representation that they'd submitted a straight haired photograph. And so I showed up curly and there was a very slight double take. It happened from time to time. And, um, so I needed to, you know, I needed to really take hold of that conversation so that I could show up, you know, take the time to get all the girls looking, looking like looking what they, what they were expecting. Yeah. the person to walk. Yeah, so I think you 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 yeah. can you can embrace the variety. There's just maybe a little bit more work involved in determining, you know, together with your representation and your own instincts about the character, uh, and doing mm-hmm. the background on what the show looks like. If it's a television show, what kind of casting they're doing. I mean, look, I, I know as a curly haired girl, I watch a lot of television shows that cast almost no women with curls. And I know nobody else is paying attention, but curly-haired people do. Yeah. And so, right. unfortunately, I know if I'm if I'm got an audition for one of those, I have to get the blow dryer out and subject myself to an hour of torture. It's being in sync with the the casting scenario. 
I think it's very important to seek out an objective view, particularly through your agent, because they're the ones who are going to market you. And you may not like it, and that's where you have to have a bit of give and take. But they've got you on their books for a certain reason, and they've got that idea of how they should market you and what they should put you up for to start with or what they, they think that they can do with you. And I think that's got to reflect in your your headshots. But another thing to take into account, I think, is a, a big one, is, is, just, is that actors don't understand who they are in their casting type and what they're selling. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, however much you like or dislike, it, it, is a, it is a selling tool. It is a marketing tool. And if you don't know your type or at least what you can come and how you can come across, then, then you're going to be hedging your bets all across the board. It's so competitive. And so many actors, I feel, want to grab attention by overproducing and looking like the image that they feel they should be portraying rather than the actual truth of who they are in relation to what their type is and how they can sell themselves. So I think Mm. it's very important for actors also to know that and to be honest about that. There's a complete difference between um, the, the part you'd like to play which doesn't mean you, you can't eventually, but the type, the, the character that you see yourself you'd love to play as opposed to the one that you are, you are uh, castable for mm. without, without batting an eyelid. Now, then you get into big discussions about typecasting and I want to break my typecasting or I'm going to play to my typecasting, and that's maybe something we can get into as, we, as the discussion grows. But you can't get away from the fact that it is a marketing tool, just like your showreel. And mm-hmm. as a result of that, there are certain, there is a certain focus that you have to fulfill first. And that is know who you are and what you're selling as an actor in, in that sense. Not, I can play loads of different parts. Of course, you, everyone can. Whether you'll be considered for them is another matter. Because, the, you know, the question of looking like yourself is, is it's kind of a loaded question. I mean... Do I want the photographer to get every wrinkle on my face? No, I don't. That's not what I mean. Um, Still, you know, there's still an aesthetic uh, dimension to our work that one has to be clear about. But I can't send them a a headshot looking like I did when I first got my SAG card. That's just not appropriate, you know? Well, you haven't changed at all in the (laughs) years that we've known each other. Well, thank you. Uh, and I think mostly it's that it's that personality, and it's finding that. And there are a couple of ways you can, as Gary as Gary said, you know, a couple of ways to lead yourself into that conversation about defining the qualities that you want to go for. And we can talk about that as well. Um, I did want to say about in terms of what the goal is when I when I close my eyes and I imagine one of the many collections of photos that I've been shown by students you know certainly there's lighting the lighting in the eyes has to be profound I mean the eye absolutely needs to go there first I want to see openness I want to see somebody where I know almost immediately oh god he'd be an amazing cop in that show or Oh, she's just the, she's like a Jessica Lang type, except younger. She's so soulful and interesting and kooky. And I do need to see something that instantly gets my imagination moving as somebody who wants to cast you. I want to see a quality in you that is resonant 
and alive, whether it's goofy, silly, uh, regal, menacing, I need to see life there. And I think so casting directors say, gee, I really, I really, you know, try and get a headshot that stands out. What does that mean to an actor? How do they go about doing that? But I think if they go for being engaged in the moment with the camera, engaged themselves, yeah. their, their, their environment, if they're authentic in their energy, um, and it's, it's almost touchable, then you're going in the right direction. And then and it's going to speak to us in an, in a lively way. And that's the thing. I've seen a lot of beautiful photos that are not alive. And, and so sometimes mm. actors say, well, I don't understand why, why you didn't choose this one. I look so perfect in that, but it doesn't, there are, there are millions of beautiful actors out there. I want to see your soul. I want to see that thing that's that's lively and and turns me on as a storyteller with you. Where I start crafting, oh God, she's like that and and I'd love to see her live that thing out and I wonder how she'd handle this story when casting directors say, you know, find shots that help you stand out. I, to me, those are the things that they're really trying to say. It's also because on a practical level and now it's different because now it's online and uh, we should talk about on what level does it need to, to, to pop at? Because if you think about how casting directors are working mm-hmm. now, before I left for Prague, my last day job was working in casting. And basically one of the things, the reason it needs to be so capturing and alive and, and vulnerable and arresting with the eyes and all that stuff is because you basically have the amount of mm-hmm. time it takes the casting assistant to take the photo from the top of the stack and to put it in the trash. <laughs> That's how long you have with that photo. And now, because things are online, if you think about a web page full of 100 by 150 pixel photos, mm-hmm and there's a hundred on a page, they're scrolling through the page. And if you imagine what that is, then the necessity of standing out or providing something unique or specific to you that is along with your type, but also just so alive that it jumps off the, that it jumps off the page is really Mm -hmm. stark because if it's, if it's, safe and it's bland, you will not stand out because there are on a, on a page that a casting director is looking at, there are hundreds of you. That's right. And that's just, and it's just, it's just background. Whereas if you can get something that captures and and take someone by the, by the gonads or whatever, you know, it's, they're going to, they're going to stop and go, Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to put that in a, I'm going to give that one a second look. It it isn't, Kind of following off of what Andrea's saying, and, and and that too, isn't that you know to achieve that, the sort of attitude you've got to have is to be your authentic self, isn't that just an extension of the work you do as an actor okay. or should do anyone? And cluing into that, maybe there are certain tips of actually doing that in the actual shoot, mm-hmm. you know, radiating. But where does that come from? And actors forget that 
they don't have to, you know, this is like, treat it like a close-up. You don't actually have to do a lot of external work. Clue into the to the thing that actually makes you who you are and in that moment with, with, with the photographer. And it's just being authentic. Now, that's a buzzword and a buzz phrase. And how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, how do you do that? People spend a lot of time in acting class trying to achieve that because we've got so many masks and civilian platitudes and behaviors that we've adopted that gets us through. But it's like, when you're in front of the camera, uh, you know, how do you deliver your authentic self? Mm. Maybe that's a, I'll put that out there. That makes you stand out in the way that you're talking about, Brian. I think it's hard to know. I think it's hard to know when, when that's happening. I think that what, what I try to do when I'm, when I'm thinking about the last I, maybe this is not what you're asking, but I'm kind of separating out the authentic experience of a of an imaginary circumstance, let's say, which I might be having when I'm shooting something that is narrative, and the the experience of just stripping everything down and just being, and and sending trying to send that out to the camera, which can be slightly different. I mean, there's an interesting take. I mean, you could approach a headshot session as if it is a narrative experience where you are creating circumstances for yourself that that might put you in certain emotional or mental states that can show different parts of your of your inner self. That's that would be much more similar to what I would think the, the work that you would be doing as an actor would be. But in terms of simply being, I would try to be very honest about whatever is happening in the moment and really try to put that out into the, into the space and to really project that into the lens. And maybe that's trying too hard. But is there anything you can do in order to be? <laughs> I mean, certainly there's an openness, right? An openness to the experience, which is part of authenticity. So, and I totally agree with you. There's, there's, you can actually, you know, rely purely on technique and just do things in order to get you places, if you like, that might respond to the camera. And then there's abandoning yourself. Well, I think, honestly, I think that if you just told someone, Hey, just be authentic. I I think that that's a very hard ask. You just say, Hey, just go in when you go into the photo shoot session, just be authentic. So so some of it is work that you are doing as part of the foundational work that you might be doing as an actor, which is being truthful. And again, just for, for everyone, in case it's not abundantly clear, like I'm looking at this through the lens of someone who's more of an inside out type of actor, uh, an acting teacher. So listening to what's happening around me, being aware of how I feel about that, um, and trying to be honest about those things. And then that's generally how I find my authentic authenticity. Right. And I mean, let's not forget there's a photographer there. So connect with them. These are all acting things, but they're life things too. That's when authenticity comes in and of the situation is when you give yourself over to the, the situation and go, all right, you know what? I might be prepared. I might not, but anyway, this photographer is quite nice or he's asking me to smile and I'm listening to him and you follow you in. There's got to be an instinctive sort of flow to it as well, but that can only happen once you understand that you're connected. And and a good headshot photographer will know how to connect with actors. 
and know how to get the actor to relax and to be more authentic? That's such a critical question, how to achieve authenticity, right? You know, it's again, (laughs) back to when we talk about the craft and we say, well, what's something that you can actively do in a scene? It's really, it's really in a way the same, the same dilemma, isn't it? You can't just focus on an idea of a result and magically achieve it. I do think there are a number of things you can do in preparation for the shoot. And then during the shoot, uh, that can put you in the right direction. Obviously, you know, if you have the time to interview or speak with several headshot photographers to really seek out the one who you feel connected with and safe with, that can really help. I, I know for me, I've, I've worked with a number of extremely talented headshot photographers, but it's, it's funny. It's, it's one of those, I, I'm never nervous doing a a close up, but I get nervous with headshot photography because you do feel so exposed and barren in a way. And so I really have to be clear about the mental game for me. And I know that when I'm with certain photographers, I feel warmly embraced by them and I feel Mm. cared for by them. I feel I can reveal myself fully and I always get the better shots with them. So if you can take the time to research the work of a number of photographers who are recommended in your market, uh, whose work you, you know, speaks to you and then find out, is this a relationship that you think is going to be, um, fruitful? I think that's a really important piece of it. You know, choose your acting partner because to me, there's two acting partners in this. There's the camera and whoever you are imbuing the camera to be, if you're engaging your imagination that way. And then there's the photographer. And so I do have some control over the photographer Mm. and I want to choose somebody who makes me feel safe to be myself. And then there's, you know, the preparation. We have good conversation about the wardrobe, about colors, about fit, take a look at the kind of roles that you think you want to be doing and uh, look at the wardrobe that those actors are wearing, look at the color schemes, get some, you know, get some great feedback on necklines and colors that are working for you and come prepared. Always come with extra wardrobe pieces. You never know. Sometimes it's that thing you just put in the closet, you know, as an afterthought, you've pulled it out and you've put it in the bag and it's the one thing, or it's the thing you show up to the, to the, how many times has this happened? You guys, you show up on set and you've brought, you know, half of your closet and they say, I really love what you arrived on set. And <laughs> can we use that? So, you know, be, be a little overprepared on that is, is more my motto. Um, and you know, be, be clean, be, be well-rested, be exercised, whatever, whatever it takes, you know, get yourself in the best starting position and, and find a makeup artist who's, who is going to be, um, in sync with you in terms of how to approach your makeup and, and don't be afraid to be, um, a partner in that conversation about what you like, what you don't like, if you have any particular needs, you know, now's the time to speak up. And then the other thing that you can do in advance is, it's a little bit of research and then there's an internal piece and that's, you know, the many, many facets that make up you, what do you want to bring to this shoot? You know, what, what sort of five major facets of your personality do you want to explore? And how can you think about that? Do you know Sam Christensen? 
No, I don't remember that name. Oh, he he did some really incredible work for a number of years. Um, bless him. He was really um, a brilliant, brilliant man. And he would do these essence workshops where you with your classmates over a period of time are really helping each other to give compassionate and truthful feedback to one another about what you receive from them as human beings. And and it was phenomenal. So you come away with like lists of adjectives, conversational vocabulary about you that defines you that just goes on and on. You come up with phrases that they write after spending time with you and and seeing you do monologues and, and going into scenes or just talking on, on subjects. And, and, and he always suggested, you know, when you sort of come up with these essence statements, take these to your headshot photographers, take Mm -hmm. it, take it to your shoot and, and pick one out and and know this next 15 minutes, this is what I'm going to go for, you know, and they were always creative and compelling. In fact, I have, I have my essence statements here in front of me. The goddess cancels her vacation again. Or I'm so embarrassed. Nobody told me it was potluck. <laughs> or I'm trying to be really evolved about all this, but you people are getting on my very last fucking nerve. They're so specific. Yeah, they're so specific. So like these are really unique. They sound really out of context, really strange if you don't know me personally. But these were some of the sentences that we arrived at in my process. <laughs> they do fit, I think. They do. In a a weird way, in an unexpected way. Like, it's not that you would, uh, knowing you as I do, it's not that I would go, oh, yeah, that's what I see about you. But when you say it, I go, oh, yeah, that fits. I could see how that fits. Right. And so, so there, there was also a, a long series of adjectives and, and, and language that came up in this sequence of, of sessions, which were also extremely informative because you know, we've talked about this before, the, the value of, of specific language to our work. It's the same thing for me when I approach a headshot session. If I just want to go and look pretty, uh, I don't know. That to me is the job of the makeup artist. I need to go and convey something much more specific. Do I need to convey sensuality? Do I need to convey warmth and goodness and heart? Do I need to convey, uh, you know, walking barefoot along the beach, cozy, warm, but up for, up for something special, you know, like the more you, the more you touch base with the things that bring you to life in a specific way, just like in our acting choices, the more success I think you will have in your headshot sessions. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's actually, you know, you've set, what I wanted to say very nicely. So I thank you in advance because what I'm going to say actually fits in with what you're, with with what you've just described. Um, It's, um, and it's Mm -hmm. this thing about um, the eyes, you know, this is your close up when you're doing headshots and, you know, the eyes have got to have something just like when you're working on screen. It's important that whether it's, you're finding it in the moment or you are creating something, there is an active thing going on inside and, you know, you don't have to do anything. They just radiate out through the eyes. You don't have to act it. You just have to know it or think it or feel it. But it's interesting because a friend of mine, yeah. an old uh, student of mine, took up photography and he starts started to do headshots. And I've seen his work develop. And he used to come, he came to me and he said, he said, you know, I'm asking 
actors to, you know, giving them sort of results orientated direction to try and get them sort of to loosen up or lighten up or give me that sort of killer look or that seductive look, that open, friendly look and, you know, any tips. And I, and I, I just basically approached it, like you said, from a completely acting technique point of view. And I just mm-hmm. said, well, get them to imagine certain things, you know, get them to imagine what's the worst thing that could happen to you in your life today. All right. And he would start to drop these things in. And he, and he said it was quite remarkable, one, how they responded, and also what the effect was on the finished headshot by, as we all are aware, using your imagination just to stimulate something inside of you. Very simple, just like a lot of your phrases that are very evocative and using very specific evocative language mm-hmm. to get at a particular state or mood or feel or look. Um, and, you know, that's, that's something that he says works for his clients and he's a photographer who is doing this to them he's kind of leading them um but if you're feeling that as an actor that you're not getting much from the photographer and most photographers go out of their way to make you feel really relaxed and responsive but there are things that you can do if there is a particular look that they're working working for or particular side of you that it might help to engage in something internally um, like what's the best news you could receive today? What's the worst news you could receive today? You know, what, what would happen if you got a phone call in relation to your mother or your sister or your brother? That's good news or bad news or, and all of these variations on that. And that's pure acting. I mean, it'll help to create life behind the eyes. Yes. I've been working sometimes with a, with a coach, uh, from the UK and he's come over to Prague a few times uh, named David Penn. He's not really an actor. He's a, more of a director. And he teaches an on-camera course that I've found very interesting. He talks a lot about uh, not so much doing the plot of whatever piece you're doing, but about creating a thought or some kind of relationship, an imaginary relationship, with the actual person that is opposite you so mm-hmm. so in this context yes uh, it would be with the photographer and you could create a certain relationship or a thought about the actual photographer mm-hmm. that is real in in that space and that is what the lens might pick up on i've never done this but i i think for the next session at least i would do a certain amount of shots with this in mind where i would create oh this is the guy that that screwed me over, or this is um, the person that I've been secretly uh, stealing money from, you know, some kind of extra little relationship with the actual photographer, so that even though you're looking in a headshot into the lens, most likely, it might serve as a, as a touchstone, as a place to, to kind of ground yourself in something that's real within this imaginary thought that you might be having for this, for the still photography. I, I thought I might try that. I can say that I've done that and I've been happy with the results. I've really enjoyed myself during the shoot and I've been really happy with the results when I do that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. good. It could also help to combat any problems you have with a photographer as well. If you feel like there is a disconnect and something's happening to you that you're uncomfortable, you can maybe have a little bridge to that and and sort of helps you relax by doing that. So it's it's a great little 
Thing. Absolutely. And if you really play around with it, it can become very playful, which is really nice to see. When Andrea, when you were talking earlier about the thing in the eyes where there's a certain vulnerability and openness, but I think there's also an interesting way to go about the eyes where there's a secret where yeah. you're not giving everything away or something, something that you know that other people don't. And it's, uh, it's so intriguing to see that. So, so that might be also something to play with in certain looks, which is one, one which would be as vulnerable and open as you can be. And one which might be, I'm not going to give you everything. You have to come in here and get it. Yes, I could completely agree. I think that really brings people to life. And, and there's something so compelling about that. And, and I think it's, you know, we see that also in, in performers who, who have really rabid fans, uh, often what, what a number of our beloved actors have in common is that, is that sense of, I don't know what's going to happen next because there's something he's holding or she's holding so close to her chest, but I can see it working. And I'm so, I'm so interested to know what it is. And yeah. it's, all a surprise, which means it's alive in the moment. And, and I'm engaged as the viewer in, in, in that, in that discovery. And I think absolutely that's something that you can, that you can create in your, in your photo sessions without a doubt. I'm curious if either of you have experienced photographers who have had some odd practices or done something odd with you, <laughs> <laughs> because I remember one of my first, where when I was at a you know drama school and getting my first headshots, I was with this uh, female photographer, and she would go, "Okay, what I want you to do is look out the window." We were close to a window, and all the lights were set up in her room, and uh, so I want you to look out the window, and I want you to count to three. And when you count to three, I want you to look at the look at the camera. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like, and but then it was, and then then she went, okay, I'll take over. So then she go, okay, now look out the window, and I'd look out the window, and she go, one, two, three, look back, and look, and I had to look back, and I felt like I was on a modeling shoot, not a fucking active shoot, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, it, she was great, and actually she got some really good shots uh, for the time, but it was an odd thing, and I was completely all this stuff that we've just talked about. I wasn't thinking of anything. I was just looking out the window. And I was listening to her count and then just turning and, 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 and looking. And it, it, it wasn't the most enjoyable thing, but it was just a bit odd. And I did feel like a kind of, you know, a centerfold of some kind. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> I was wondering if, if either of you have encountered any sort of strange devices that photographers have used on you. I've actually had someone do that with me. And I think it actually, there's something to that. And I've done that with other people when I take photos of them, not that I take professional photos, but if you have someone close their eyes and then you say, okay, one, two, three, open your eyes and they open their eyes and they, and you take the picture, there's a certain relaxation that if you're, if it's too intense, you're, it's almost like you're trying too hard right? sometimes. yeah. And there's a certain relaxation to just kind of going, I, I'm not in charge of this. I'm just going to look over here. I'm going to look over there. Probably like someone who has trained a lot and then doesn't put a lot of effort into the into the work once they're doing it and kind of lets go of the work because they trust that it's going to be there. I think that people who are present in the moment are compelling 
in a way that people who are trying to be present and trying to be in the moment and trying to do something might be overshooting what they want to do. Right. And it, and it probably isn't that you're doing nothing but looking out the window and, and counting or whatever, but it, that you're, you're present in a different way. Yes. Yeah. Is- yeah. And the interesting thing is, is she, she said that, um, I, I'm, I'm not going to even touch the first three sort of, uh, counts that we did because she was just getting me into this automatic it's almost like you know the reality of doing just do it give yourself over to an active thing do it mm-hmm. yeah much thought and she said I didn't even take any pictures for the first three I said you didn't I was like no <laughs> I, I was like I'm just getting you to do it and then be comfortable with doing that because even the first couple I was kind of tense and going what the fuck am I doing this for and you know questioning <laughs> it and not being yeah. with it but eventually like absolutely like you said you kind of give yourself over to it and then you're getting something you know I suppose it's a bit like not as extra or nowhere near as extreme as Kubrick getting people to do 99 takes and then it's like they're so relaxed you know well <laughs> you know it's, they're relaxed or they go crazy yeah exactly uh, and they tense one of the up two. about the 50th and then they tense up and then they relax you know it's like who yeah I mean god get it yeah you know you're actors, get it done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's go home. Yeah. I've worked with photographers who use a similar device where they want you to close your eyes for three seconds. And then when you open them, of course, your iris is larger in response to the, to the light. And, um, and I think the same, the same that you're discussing that, that you be, you were so tuned into the moment of the three that you know, you're just more present. So it's a little bit of a, a trick that I have experienced as well, but no, I mean, uh, the only thing that comes to mind are in the early years when I was doing some modeling in, in Chicago and in Paris, that there were a few photographers who didn't know their boundaries very well, but that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah. Boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> But we should probably say just for if you are someone who's young and impressionable and yeah. you feel uncomfortable in a shoot that you don't have to stay oh my God. there and take it for sure, right? You know, if any, if you're in any situation that makes you uncomfortable, uh, we'll certainly say something and say that's not appropriate. And if the, if the behavior continues, then leave, you know, you're not under any obligation to, to just bear it. Um, no matter who the photographer is. That's right. Quite that, right. I mean, I haven't heard anything in terms of actors' headshots, maybe some more in the modeling world, but, I mean, have you have heard anything that, that some like that in terms of headshot sort of? No, no, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't. To finish this discussion about headshots, when you are ready to to get your first headshots, let's say, there's a lot of research that, that can you can do there's we we've talked about the self preparation in terms of having a good think and some writing uh maybe just journaling about your type thinking about what roles you have to that you want to play or that you think you usually get cast as um talking with your representatives if you have them about what kinds of shots and what kind of kinds of looks you want to get so that's all preparation that you want to do there's also the preparation of um looking up the photographers in whatever market you would like to to be competing in and and seeing the Mm -hmm. thing with headshot photographers because they are the people that are really advertising so their services. So in the UK, there's um, 
There's the contacts directory from Spotlight. Uh, they have, it seems like thousands of headshot photographers all have their advertisements in that book. They all have their websites. If you have contacts, ask your friends who are in the business, who maybe are a little bit ahead of you in the game, who have professional headshots, ask them who they went to, who they think is good and start with those people. But if you don't start by looking at uh, headshot photographer websites, find someone who looks like you, who is your coloring, who is you, maybe even your height and see which shots in the thousands of headshots that you're going to look at, which shots jump out at you, which kinds of background, which kinds of framing and, and see if there's a, if there is one headshot photographer that jumps out as like, yeah, these, these are really great. And this person's really getting some good stuff that I really respond to. And then try to get in contact with that headshot photographer. I think in London for a lot of sought after headshot photographers, um, you're probably looking at, a two to three month waiting list to get on if you can get on at all. And you're probably looking at two to three, maybe 400 pounds for a session. Is that right, Gary? Yeah. I mean, it varies. I mean, you can be, to be honest, it's opened up so much and there are a lot of people doing it. Like there are a lot of people doing everything these days, but right. um, it can range from around 200. The cheapest I've seen is around 200 pounds and decent, still decent, but perhaps not sort of top of the pile. And then up to about 400. Yes, for sure. But between 200, yeah. four, four, four fifty, even 500, depending on who you get. And for that, you'll probably get a two hour, hour and a half slot. Uh, and you'll get, they'll, take 150 to 200, uh, pictures. They'll usually touch up. Um, they'll give you four or five touched up photos, which means they'll take away some blemishes. If you have them probably won't over touch it because that's a thing that professional headshot photographers know they should not do. They should, you know, if you are really wrinkly, uh, or really have a lot of freckles, they should not be cleaning that stuff up because that's how you're going to walk in the room. And that's the big thing that we started with, which is you want to walk in the room looking very similar to what your headshot looks like. So they will clean it up a little bit. And then obviously they'll give you the 150 options and you and or your representatives, if you have them, will go through and say, these are the ones that we'd like. And then they will touch up those four or five. It depends on the photographer, what they're going to touch up. I think it's very important to, to go with a headshot photographer in the market that you would like to be competing in, because they are going to know what the styles are, what this you know, how close should it be? What's the, what are the trends now? What are people asking for in terms of casting and in terms of the style of the, photo of, of the photograph? Now I think everything is in color basically, but when I got my last set of headshots there, you know, they, they shot them in color obviously. And then they gave me black and white versions of them, which were of the, of the, of the three or four that I asked for touched up, which I don't really use at all. And then the last thing I'll say, and then I want to check in, see if Andrea, you have anything else to finish up on this. But the last thing I'll say is for people, because I have a lot of students who don't have the money really, or can't wait the two months that it might take to get the appointment. And so you want to have something. And I would say, do the research and then take a selection of headshots from the photographer that you would in your dream world, like to have, take your photo and take them to, it could be a friend with a, 
camera that maybe takes portraits or does some kind of like headshots for friends or something like that, that can copy to a certain extent what you found from your dream headshot photographer. And it won't be as good and the person probably won't take exactly the same kind of shot, but it will be something that's close and it will be something that's usable. You don't want to go to someone who's really inexperienced with nothing because then they will try to be artistic about uh, framing and, you know, lighting. And, and really this is a tool that actors need to use so that they can get called in for auditions. That is the purpose of a headshot. So anyway, that's my, that's my, um, soapboxy moment on that. Uh, Andre, do you want to finish up, um, any last thoughts or, or what, what were the price ranges? Would you say that anything is different from your experience in America? I think we've really, we've really summarized what I'm seeing in Los Angeles as well. Um, price range anywhere from, you know, $150 for a couple of roles up to what well, we call it roles. Cause I'm a film, I'm a film girl, um, <laughs> to, you know, several hundred for three, four, 500, depending on the photographer and their level of experience or prestige. But you can certainly now with digital, I think find really certainly in a market like Los Angeles with so many talented people, you can find really talented capable photographers who are going to come up with some great shots for you that you just have to connect with them personally. That that's my thing. I, I could hire the most expensive photographer and really not end up with great shots if I'm not comfortable and I don't, mm-hmm. and I'm not prepared. So uh, to me, the most important thing is to do your homework, come into it with clear, strong ideas, be present, uh, be yourself and, and, select somebody with whom you, you know, feel excited to create something, choose a great acting partner. That's how I feel about it. Excellent. Great. Um, and, uh, so I think that that's probably, probably done it. If you have questions or you want to post your headshots, um, please, uh, send them in and we would love to, to take a look at them. Um, I recently in, as part of my, my uh, quarantine house cleaning activities, much like Gary found his uh, the Stanislavski books, I unearthed the last headshots that I had taken mm. when I was in my mid twenties in Los Angeles, and <laughs> it was uh, eye opening. Actually, it was very interesting how there was one shot that I had printed because this is in the days of contact sheets and actually printed eight by tens. And the one shot that I got printed where I, and I actually put uh, put it on Twitter, um, where I was kind of sultry and did you love it? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Um, But that funnily enough, and this is a very interesting, this is going to knowing your type or knowing kind of how to sell yourself. That wasn't the shot that I, went with as my main shot. And I haven't posted it, although I have the shot that I went with as my main shot. And it was, looking at it now, it was in a way accurate because it was unsure and apologetic 
and not really taking control, the main shot that I went with. And mm-hmm. so it's not a surprise that when I was in LA, my career wasn't really hot. Um, and, and it's not to say that the headshot was the, was the cause of it, but it was, a, it's, um, it was, a, it's an indication about how unsure of my, myself I was at that time. And that's a really interesting thing to, to look at. I, I, I just, just in terms of like go moving into the section of what have we seen this week that has been interesting. Uh, that was something that I saw that was interesting, which is how, how, my image of who I was supposed to be at that time personified in the, in the headshot that I, that I chose to represent me was not the strongest one, I think in a weird mm-hmm. way. So um, that's an interesting thing to, to, to look at. Maybe, maybe I'll feel the same way about the headshots that I'm using now in, uh, in 15 years, but, um, it was a, it was certainly an interesting interesting thing. What have you guys uh, experienced or seen lately that you've got excited about or that you uh, that you want to share? I saw the performance of uh, Andrea Bocelli on Easter Sunday from Milan's Duomo. Did you did you catch that performance? Yes, we, did. Yes, we got it in. We got it in the UK. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that that really was stunning to me. So. Our timing for that day was that when it was broadcast, it was 7 p.m. here. And um, we were just in the middle of our evening meal preparations. And so we were listening primarily. So I was listening to the quality of his voice and the phrasing and things. But the next day when it was uploaded um, for review on YouTube, I, I just really sat down and looked at it and caught the video as well. And I had been struck the first time by his rendition of amazing grace but when i saw how it was performed uh it, it really just blew me away you know his this blind uh, maestro walking out obviously a certain number of steps which have been clocked everything has been absolutely perfectly prepared to walk out of the church down the steps and then to his final spot at the microphone in the front of the, the piazza to perform. And it just, it just took my breath away. And the, you know, the power and the depth of his performance really moved me. So I, I highly recommend that if, if you have not seen that, you can go on YouTube on Andrea Bocelli's website, uh, YouTube, um, site and, uh, and review that again. And it's only, I think a 25 minute performance, but it's really worth just sitting with and, and taking in. Wonderful. Fantastic. What about you, Gary? Uh, well, this week, I mean, I tend to get fixated on sort of singular things and uh, whether it's a playwright or a filmmaker, and I just kind of uh, do them all and not part, not move on until I've kind of seen a lot of, read a lot of their stuff. But so this week I kind of, I don't know why, it, I think it just popped up somehow, but um, I've been looking into or rediscovering Gene Hackman as an actor um, and uh, watching a few of his films. Um, but something was very interesting that cropped up. That was just a piece of trivia uh, that I was reading about him. And, um, you know, people get into acting in lots of different ways. And, you know, there's always a classic for a lot of people. It's not the um, the support they get from their parents is, is not always the one they want or need. Um, but 
uh, his mother used to take him to films a lot and watch films and um he was into it and he wasn't he was thinking oh that would be a cool thing to do acting are there any acting classes or whatever and um one day they came out of a movie and his mother said to him in the lobby i want to see you do that someday mm. hmm. like fuck me you know how you can't get more encouraging than that and he said that was cool because he'd already thought about wanting to do it. And that was it. So, you know, he got a blessing from his mother. So, yeah, I was starting to watch his movies and re- rediscover some of his movies because he's often thought of as this, particularly with the French Connection role that he did as this sort of angry, edgy, which he sort of fully committed and, and rough and tumble and, you know, male and, and, and alpha and all the rest of it. But um, The Conversation, a film called The Conversation, which was directed by Francis Ford Coppola oh, was the last Yeah. Movie. I love it. Yes, a fantastic movie. And yeah. he's and he's yeah. he's actually the opposite. He's very quiet because he's a he's yeah. an eavesdropper because they're surveillance, aren't they? And it's back yeah. in the day sort of chunky surveillance equipment and uh he plays this very oddball character and uh, it was just brilliant. Uh it was just good to see him doing something other than what he's really known for. So yeah, Gene Hackman has been my discovery uh, or rediscovery, should I put it, of the week. Excellent. I think that that just about does it for us tonight. Um, if people want to get in touch with us, um, Andrea, how can they get in touch with you? Oh, I'm on Instagram, Andrea Helene 3 and also on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene. And I'd love to hear from people. Great. And Gary? Uh, yeah, you can get me through my website, garycondes.com, or on Instagram too, which is all lowercase Gary Condes. Great. And I am Brian Casp with an I and an E at the end. And I am on Twitter and Instagram and some Facebook. So uh, we wish you all a good night and uh, much safety and hopefully uh, soon more freedom of movement. So... <laughs> Sure. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye now. Bye. Bye.